time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Well, this is going to be a weird show today. I'm just looking through... I don't want to call it my stack of stuff, but that's really what it is. It's a stack of stuff today. I mean, does Limbaugh have that trademark, that term? The stack of stuff? You don't know? Well, if he does, then I'm in trademark infringement here. Territory. I, I'll probably get letters from him, uh, from Limbaugh's attorneys. Stop saying stack of stuff. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's what this is. This is a stack here today. Oh, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. You're listening to the show. My, my goal on a daily basis is to dish up a dose of biblical discernment to basically ask the question, Are what is what you hearing out there in the spiritual marketplace Christianity, especially in the church? <laughs> Today we're going to we're going to actually wander outside of the church, sort of. And uh, and uh, we're, we're going to do a little I don't want to call it a sermon review, but recently on uh, Oprah's soul series, she had a an Episcopal priest named Ed Bacon from Pasadena. So he's from our he's from our neck of the woods, not too far from here. And uh, they were discussing the differences between spirituality and religion. And so we're gonna we're gonna listen in on their conversation and and add our own two cents, the, you know, a Christian perspective here, because uh, Ed Bacon seems to have done a woeful woeful job of representing Christ. While he was on Oprah's Soul Series, which is probably the reason why he was invited. You know, I wonder if Oprah would be actually willing to have a real conversation about these things with somebody who disagrees with her and ha- and can give, like, lucid reasons why. That, that, maybe I should send her an email. You know, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm on Oprah's speed dial. Probably not. <laughs> Yeah, I'm probably not. So that's going to be later in the show today. Uh, we're going to do some listener email. I got some great email today, and uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about good works and uh, talk a little bit about the rapture. And then we're going to be looking at a news story, or a, I don't know what the, if this is a news story or not. It's a piece from the Christian Post uh, describing how you can share your Christian faith by using Paris Hilton's MTV reality show, My New BFF. <laughs> I, I wish I, I wish that was parody. Here, folks, one of the things we do here on uh, Fighting for the Faith on Pirate Christian Radio is we like to put together some parody pieces. You know, if you've listened, we've from time to time we have Marty Python's Flying Circus Church, and you know, probably my my favorite one out of the mix right now is the Rex Quando one. Um, you know, bow to your pastor. <laughs> That cracks me up. What's funny is, is that you know my son Joshua is the one who did uh, the voice of Rex Quando and the guy who the little wimpy guy. So he played all the voices in that particular one. And uh, there was a little, <laughs> there was a little inside joke in there aimed at my wife. Mrs. Roseborough says some silly things sometimes. It cracks me up. But uh, <laughs> the the little line in there about falling in slow motion. Inside family joke. I swear, it's 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 this weird thing that comes from my family side of the fa- you know of the family. Um, th- these people have an uncanny ability. If they fall, they actually fall in slow motion and they don't get hurt. And my wife has this gift. So, <laughs> and it's a, a little inside joke when so when you hear a Rex Quando sing, and when I fall, I fall in slow motion. You know that was a little inside joke. But I shared. It's no longer inside now that I've shared it. Does that make it an outside joke? No. No. 
<laughs> John looked at me like, no, this 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 look of consternation. <laughs> Whoa, wow. So we're going to be uh, looking at Paris Hilton's – the whole point. I, you know, I bunny-trailed myself and I have to come back. The whole point of the, of the whole thing about satire is that uh, we do satire here. The problem is is that it, it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to satire the American Christian church because the American Christian church is so ridiculous in the things that it's doing. I, you would think that this was a satire piece 20 years ago. There isn't a Christian pastor anywhere or that would have used Paris Hilton's or a show on MTV, a reality TV show on MTV, to springboard into sharing your faith. And we're going to look at this thing to actually find out if it actually is sharing your faith. And so, yeah, anyway, great program lined up. It's going to be interesting. Fasten your seatbelt, folks. <laughs> or as they say on uh, the small word, small world, paramedicis centavos, por favor. Remain seated, please, <laughs> as we head along. Here we go. Anyway, so um, Andrew writes, Andrew Esquire. I guess he's an attorney. Does Andrew Esquire mean he's an attorney? Andrew writes, and he um, he calls me Big Dog, and he, he thinks I was completely being unfair to Ed Young. You know, the, the and the seven-day sex oh, okay. challenge. Uh, they, they issued the challenge yesterday, so today would be day two. You know, somebody emailed me on Facebook and said, you know, why don't they try something really hard? If they're going to do seven days, then they should at least try to endeavor to do it like three to five times a day. Really stretch it out. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah, big dog. <clears throat> that does not mean that I'm like the top dog. It just means that I'm large. Yeah, I'm a man of girth. He says, okay, you're being totally unfair to Ed and his sex challenge. So let me explain. In the beginning, God created everything sex nihilo. Even Adam and Eve, and he gave them sex, and they said it was good, and that never went, and that never went, uh, that never went sextinct. So we are still the sexperts. You need to examine the Bible. It's in there for example that David and Bathsheba had sex. So wouldn't it be cool if we could bring sex back into church just like that? Ah, stop being divisive and a mutilator of the flesh, and maybe if you weren't. <laughs> You'd get successive amounts of bedroom time, too. Time to express my love to my wife. Peace out, Andrew Esquire. <laughs> yeah, I, the little play on words about, yeah, I mean, because Ed Young on his interview on CBS was just sharing, you know, all of these really pithy little comments. What's really funny about that, um, found a CNN video over the weekend where, you know, because Ed Young, not only was he on, NBC, you know, CBS, he was on NBC, he was on CNN, he was on our local uh, news affiliate here in Southern California. This guy, you know, on on the day when he did those interviews, he must have done like 15, 20 different channels around the country, just sat down and just went from station to station to station to station. I mean, talk about uh, being uh, media savvy. What was the children's sermon that week? Yeah, what was the children's sermon that week? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. Um so anyway, uh, I found some video of uh, Ed Young on CNN, and the gal interviewing him takes him to task. I'm thinking, ooh, this is pretty interesting. I should play some of this for you. Um, this is from CNN. 
I'm suggesting that the married couples in our church, and we have some 20,000 people who will be here this weekend, I'm suggesting that they have sex, that's right, for seven straight days. And okay, that's the look on his face. Sex, yeah, that's right. I'm a pastor, and I said sex. People should have sex. You know, like this is a great thing. And what's funny is, is that the look on the gal's face who's interviewing him on CNN, she's not impressed. Okay, and she looks like she's loading her gun for bear. I, you know, it's it's rather interesting. So we continue. My wife and I are looking forward to it, and it all begins this weekend. Well, you know, uh, listen, I think that there's, uh, I would have to call this a pearl in a pigsty because I agree that we need to encourage more intimacy. Like if you were to say. The look on Ed's young face, the look on his face right now is, oh, no. <laughs> Oh no! It, he he looks like you know. Just take a look at that you know, he, that look on his face, like gulp. <laughs> She's uh, <laughs> here. She comes. She's coming after him. Um, hey, you know what? A married couples need to be less superficial and worried uh, about only uh, where the kids are going and who's right. going to take out the garbage. And we've got to connect again. We've got to mm-hmm. look into each other's eyes. We've got to allow our guard down. We've got to be more vulnerable we've got to get real we've got to notice she's talking about all the really important things in a relationship by the way you know sorry i apologize this is not exactly a kid friendly program at the moment but there's a difference between sex and intimacy There, there just is okay and um he's not advocating seven days of intimacy that could or could not possibly be capped off with a little romantic endeavor with the woman and, you know, with, with the the woman you're married to. I mean, that would be great, you know. But, no, he's just, you know, let's just do the deed for seven days. Yeah. <laughs> let's do the deed. Yeah, because then that'd be cool. And she's, <laughs> sorry, you know, typical woman fashion here. She's she's pushing for the deeper relationship. You know, she wants commitment. And this pastor dude, he just wants to, to do it. <laughs> we continue. Be in a real intimate relationship. I would agree with you 100%. But I got to say, and I, and I want to be sensitive about this, yeah. because uh, it's a delicate issue, but I really feel I have the responsibility to say this, that to to say that you should have sex, yes. uh, I think is, is dangerous, because sex is supposed to be an optional, voluntary mm-hmm. uh, activity between two consenting adults. And once you say you have to do it, that's a dangerous concept because there's a word for when somebody has to have sex even if they don't want to. And that word, we all know what it is, R-A-P-E. That's right. Uh, rape, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're only one minute and 20 seconds into that little CNN video, and already she's pretty much brutalized him. Yeah, she basically took all of the air out of his balloon and, you know, using a shotgun, you know, just you know, he's his arguments bleeding all over the place. Can he recover? I, I right, and I, I agree. I mean, it's it, it's not in that vein. Obviously, people have the freedom, the couples of fellowship church to to do to do it. You know, when they feel let. <sighs> yeah, backtracking. You could hear the wheels on his bicycle. You know. Zzz! He's trying to pedal backwards, and he's not quite got the gears engaged. To do it, but what I think is, if both the man and the woman would understand the power and the super glue of sex, I think it'll cause them to make some decisions to free up some time, so they can do it. Because I really believe, since God invented sex, yeah, she's, he's completely avoiding the fact that you know, listen, dude, Pastor Young, 
Um, sex is not the pinnacle event here. It's 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 a fruit of intimacy. It really you know flows from a healthy relationship. It really flows from real, true intimacy in a marriage, and uh, uh, he just is telling people you know in an animalistic way to just do it. Like that's you. Good night. We've we've just been reduced down to animals, you know. And of course, the the lady from CNN here kind of picks up on that, and she's brought the rape word, you know, playing the rape card here. Then the best place to have sex is in the marriage bed, and if if if, if, the, if those people believe in God and have that relationship with Him, then I think their sexual relationship can be awesome. But too many couples, as you just said, are spending too many times doing other things. Too much. He's off script, by the way. It's really hilarious. He's not here talking about experiments or you know things that being sex experts anymore he's completely winging it and he's doing a terrible job she <laughs> you got to give her props for completely knocking him off his script time doing other things good things but not the best thing and hopefully this will give people an opportunity to reprioritize their life and listen do this. pastor i understand what you're saying but you have this twenty thousand uh parishioner congregation uh-huh. so that means there's probably something like ten thousand couples exactly okay? now you're telling them to have sex every day starting sunday for the entire week so uh <laughs> you're saying uh that basically um there's going to be approximately what five thousand women yes ten thousand women who are going to agree to have sex every day for a week and and oh. what happens when those women don't want to have sex i mean <laughs> I love it because it's just so simple and true, you know. What if I don't – this pastor is basically putting out the sex challenge. What if you don't want to? Are you sinning if you don't participate in the sex challenge? Should you be run out on a rail as somebody who's being divisive at Fellowship Church there in Dallas because you didn't want to uh, do it? Didn't feel like it? Yeah. I how much do I hate to put it in these terms, but how much do you want to bet there's going to be a lot of pe- couples who basically, when it comes to reporting in, are going to fake it. They're going to say they did it when they didn't, you know, because of the sexual pressure. You know, I don't know. CNN, I think, had it. They got it. Yeah, they should do the 30 day abstinence challenge. For the singles. For the singles. <laughs> there you go. And for our singles ministry, we're going to challenge you guys to not have sex for 30 days. <laughs> That'll make national headlines and people say, wait a second. These unmarried folks shouldn't be having sex at all, and you're only telling them to not have sex for only 30 days? What's wrong with you, pastor? Oh, man. All right, moving on to the next email. It's from the Reverend Jonathan Fisk. And you know, he brings up a good point. You know, he's, you know, in the last episode of Fighting for the Faith on Friday night, <laughs> we I was talking about, you know, giving you some examples of what you can do to test whether or not what somebody is telling you the Bible, how the Bible should be interpreted works. And what you do is you take their interpretive words and plug them into the text to see if it actually still works. And the Reverend Fisk writes in, you know, apparently he was playing video games while listening to the program. 
And here's what he says. He says, today while podcasting Friday show, revisiting Pastor Bell's hermeneutics, as you focus in on the, po- on the point that paraphrases words and synonyms, synonyms, boy, I'm messing that word up, synonyms, not cinnamons. I'm thinking of my wife's cooking, cinnamons. <laughs> what she could do with cinnamon is amazing. Anyway, sorry. <clears throat> All right, he says, and uh, I, on the point that, that that paraphrase words and synonyms will always be able to pl- be plugged back into the scripture text and still make sense, I kept waiting for you to turn it around and flip-flop your synonyms with bells. Now, that see, I didn't even think about that. I got to tell you, uh, Pastor Fisk, it didn't come to mind. And, and so this is why I'm reading this email on the air, because you, you took it to its next logical conclusion. He says, that is, after all, what the text is really about. Check it out. So he said, what he's done is he's taken some of the words that we used, you know, Rob Bell's words and the things I was pointing out, and then he's plugging them into, into <laughs> several passages. And what's funny is, is that one, one, <laughs> one, of the, uh, par- one of the passages he writes, he cites it as Philippians 2-ish. He, he didn't give me the actual. He didn't give me the actual passage address. He's just. This is somewhere in Philippians two ish. He says, uh, "Look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutil- mutilate the flesh." By the way, it should be three ish. It's Philippians three ish. He says, uh, "For we are, we are the Christ centric." who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in global centricity or anti-tribalism. <laughs> this is just really good and clever. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from global centricity and anti-tribalism, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This just is great stuff. He even takes this principle and applies it to, um, uh, let's see, what's the passage here? Oh, foolish emergence. He, he goes to, he, t- he applies this to Galatians, you know, uh, Galatians, uh, um, let's see, Galatians 1, 3, 1 through 14, and, and uh, actually 3, 1 through 14, and 1, 8 through 9. Here's what he does. This is interesting. He says, O foolish emergent Christians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by acts of globalism or anti-tribalism? <laughs> <laughs> or by hearing with faith? It, he just pulls the... This is... This is clever stuff. Good job, Pastor Fisk. Great job. All right. It's, it's very clever. All right, moving along, Mrs. Rowland writes, and by the way, we got this email just seconds before we went on the air. You know, as I was finishing up my, my show prep and putting together my stack of stuff, just because today it, is a st- it really is a stack. That's pretty hefty. Um, Pam writes, or no, I'm sorry, Mrs. Rowland writes. Her name is Teresa. Okay. She says, hi, Chris. I'm a friend of Pam. <laughs> now, do y'all know who Pam is? The chick. Pam is the chick. And, and we got, we actually got an email from Pam today too. And she called me dude. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we got it. We got an email from the chick and she called me dude. I just thought that was great. So <laughs> I'll, uh, her email this time though, I think we'll, I'll keep it just between the chick and myself. Not that, no, it's not, there's nothing going on there, but anyway, she says, um, I'm a friend of the chick. Uh, she didn't say that, but that's who, you know, all right. 
Pam is the chick, so we're going to rewrite this. Okay, I am a friend of the chick. I was raised Roman Catholic and attended a Baptist church for eight years, and now my husband, children, myself attend a Christ-centered church, and we repent and rejoice daily. Praise Jesus. Anyway, I wanted to know what you meant when you said there is no rapture. Baptist churches teach from the following verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, Then we who are alive will remain and shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Is this incorrect? Uh, thanks, I enjoy your show. May our Lord God, God bless your ministry. Teresa. Okay, Teresa, friend of the chick. All right, this is pretty simple, actually. Um, understand that the doctrine of the rapture basically teaches that Jesus Christ returns secretly. Okay, secretly. Um, so his second coming, if you really want to put it in, is that term, is a secret coming where he raptures the church and takes them out. Now the question is, is that doctrine supported in Scripture? Okay. Now I am I'm in the camp that says the the doctrine of the rapture, which is actually a very new doctrine. You know, although it's you know, most people have believed it all of their lives, really it's only been around for 150 years or so. It's fairly new on the scene. And I think it has its roots in the in uh, in Darbyism. But um, anyway, the the question is, if if the doctrine of the rapture rapture is really a biblical doctrine that Jesus Christ is going to secretly return, rapture the church out of here, and then the church is going to go through, or not the church, but the world's going to go through their seven years of tribulation. Read the Lahaye books if you need more details on the position. Um, then. Um, you know, then the doctrine of a secret rapture should be supported in Scripture. Now, I, along with others, do not think that it's uh, supported there. And the verse that you quote, First Thessalonians chapter four, if we look at it in context, if we look at it in context, then what happens is is that the whole secret rapture piece of it kind of evaporates pretty quickly. And so, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually um, read this in context. Okay, and uh, all right. <laughs> All right, here we go. First, First Thessalonians chapter four, starting at verse thirteen. Paul writes, "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep." So. The passage here, when you're reading this in, in context, the first thing you'll notice is that Paul is um, writing them. And he, why is he bringing this up? He doesn't want them to be uninformed and grieve about those who die um, as, as, as if there's no hope. Because what's going to happen is when Christ returns, right, we're, you know, this is what he's pointing to. He show, he's pointing to the end times and talking about our hope, our ultimate hope, and that's the hope in the resurrection. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so those uh, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So, you know, when the end of the world comes, Jesus is going to bring with him the dead. OK, so already the, uh, verse 17 is having some rough times here. If you're using verse first uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verse 17 as a proof text for the rapture, we've already got a problem because here's what's happening. Christ, when he returns is bringing the dead who've died in Christ with back with them. Okay? So what's happening here in the context is we see that Jesus is coming back. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself, now this is the important verse, it's 16, it's the one right before 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This sounds like a very loud event. Okay? The whole light, the, so here we've got a problem. If uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 is about a secret rapture, uh, Jesus really isn't behaving in, in any way whatsoever to make it seem secretive. Okay? Because here he's, he's descending uh, <laughs> from heaven with a cry of a command, the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God. Sounds like we're going to hear this. Okay? Um, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so not only is he coming with this really loud thing going on here, blowing a trumpet, the, you know, the voice of the archangel and all that kind of stuff, but the dead in Christ actually are going to rise. So then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This isn't talking about a secret rapture. This is talking about the last day when Christ actually returns. And so um, rather than supporting the doctrine of a rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, when you read it in context, the rapture piece of it pretty much disappears just when you look at all the details. Okay? So, um, you know, what do I personally believe is going to happen? I think Scripture is pretty clear. Um, we're going to be around. Okay? Things are going to get really crazy in the end, end days. And I couldn't tell you when they're going to be. It could be tomorrow. It could be today. It could be a thousand years from now. Scripture just doesn't give us a date. Okay, so we kind of live in this in this you know constant ready state. Soon doesn't really work. Soon it could happen soon. Could but right. But right. I say I don't see soon. Maybe that's God's reference point. Scripture makes it clear that a day is like a thousand. A thousand years is like a day to God. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Jesus says he's coming soon. And a child, if you're thinking like a child, you know, my kids, when they were younger, thought soon meant like now. Okay. (laughs) so here's the deal. We don't know when Christ is going to return. Are we in the last days? Well, absolutely. We have been since Christ has ascended. Um, Will uh, what's going to happen to us as Christians? Well, on the last day, there's going to be Christians on Earth. Okay. why? Because Paul's saying that those of us who are left. Uh, the, uh, until the left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So at some point, you know, Christ is going to come back. He's going to bring those who've died in the faith with back with him. They will, there will be a resurrection. Everyone will be resurrected and will be caught up in the air with Christ. Hoorah. Right. So that's, that's the, that's the good news. Now things are going to get hairy and crazy. And they already are. You know, if you look at the list of things that are going bad in the world, we already have false Christ and pro- false prophets. Right. I'd like to say the church is already in apostasy. <laughs> um, you know, we already have wars and rumors and wars and famines and earthquakes and all these kind of things. Right. So, I mean, it could happen anytime. OK, could happen anytime. Just want to throw that out there. And this secret rapture stuff, I don't believe there's any biblical verse that really supports it, especially when you look at them in context. And First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 17 um, I, it doesn't support the secret rapture because if it's a secret, then why is Jesus shouting and blowing a trumpet when he comes back? All right. Again, context, context, context. So there you go, uh, Teresa. I hope that helped and say hi to the chick for us. 
All right. <laughs> All right. We're we're gonna take our. You know, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this right. Phone phone the media. Chris Roseborough is actually gonna take a break like on time. I know this is ridiculous and hard to believe, but it's true. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to finish up a listener email, talk about how to share your faith using Paris Hilton, Hilton's new reality show on MTV called My New BFF. BFF apparently means best friend forever. It's internet lingo. It's in, it's, is that, that, that's like that, it's internet lingo, or is it like the, that texting lingo? Well, it started with probably internet it started with the internet, and that, so this is like texting language. Yeah. I am so behind the time. You know, what's funny is I put up a, a, a exhibit up at the Museum of Idolatry, and it was a church sign that asked the question, is the church whack? And I I literally, <laughs> at the Museum of Idolatry, I need somebody to translate this for me because I don't speak this language. You know, and it was a church that was giving away an iPod, you know, a, a new iPod to, uh, to the youth, and it asked the question, is the church whack? And I'm like, whack? How am I supposed to figure out what whack is? You know, I come to find out it like means old and curmudgeonly and out of date and irrelevant or whatever. So, is Chris Roseboro whack? <laughs> oh, most certainly. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're going to take our first break. If you would like to email me, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what are good works, how to share your faith using Paris Hilton's My New BFF, and we're going to listen to Oprah's Soul Series with the Reverend Ed Bacon. Scary stuff. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> My name is Rex, and if you study with my eight-week program, you will learn a self-feeder system that I developed over two seasons of preaching in the Octagon. It's called Rex Quan Do. I need a volunteer to come up here and show that they trust me. Um, here. Okay, you'll do. Come up here. Bow to your pastor. Bow to your pastor! Okay, now I'm gonna give you one chance. One chance, people. Turn around. Turn around. All right. Now fall back and I'll catch you. Ow. That was pretty good. Now, listen, everybody. The reason why he fell was because he didn't have enough faith. Go sit down. Okay. When I fall, I fall in slow motion every time. Now, in addition to what you just saw, if you study with my eight-week program, you're going to learn these things. First off, in Rex Kwando... We use the buddy system. No more reading the Bible solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Second off, you're going to learn to discipline your image. Do you think I got where I am today because I dress like Peter Pan here? 
Take a look at what I'm wearing, people. Bible pants. Yeah, you have to be pretty righteous to rock these babies. Do you think anybody wants a roundhouse kick to the face while I'm wearing these bad boys? Forget about it. Last off, my students will learn how to walk on water, heal babies, raise the dead, and be extreme. Now for only one $300 seat offering, you can sign up right now for my eight-week program here at Guts Church. Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Never thought I'd see the day. Share your faith using Paris Hilton's new reality TV show, my new BFF. Can't wait to talk about this. This is going to be crazy. All right, uh, just a reminder. uh, Fighting for the Faith airs on Pirate Christian Radio. And uh, Pirate Christian Radio is a a radio station that if you are – if you are being fed God's word from this, if you are learning as a result of this ministry and it's been beneficial in helping to teach you the Bible and how to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and understand that Christ died for your sins, even you as a sinner, then uh, we need your support. Uh, this need you to partner with us. And you can do so by sending in your gift to Pirate Christian Radio at Post Office Box 791 San Juan Capistrano, California, zip code 92693. That's right, Pirate Christian Radio, P.O. Box 791-SJC, California, 92693. All right, moving along here, i got another email. One is from Raphael, and he's writing me about good works. He says, I've listened to your program for several days now, and uh, this letter is responding to something you mentioned about good works. I think you were correcting what someone said in a sound clip, but not sure who it was. You were talking about good works as a Christian and mentioned that everything you do in what area God has given you to, to, to given you is a good work that the scriptures talk about. I was confused about this. Perhaps you didn't, exp- uh, you didn't explain it more, but I always thought good works pertains to Christ and what we have done for him. Now, I know our own good works do not justify us. Rather, they are a sign that we are saved from the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us. It causes us to change our very lifestyle, conforming to the image of Jesus in a lifestyle or striving for holiness because we are saved through faith alone in Christ. When I heard what you said qualifies as a good work, it just didn't seem enough to me. 
And I know many people who are Christians yet stay in that area of being nice to everyone, living with an isolationist mentality. It then leads me to not, it leads them to not share their faith. Where does the gospel come in? I can say that your statement would be acceptable to any Buddhist or Muslim. Any light you could shed on this would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, Raphael. Okay, this comes to the question. What is a good work? Okay, now... I believe in sola scriptura. That is, so therefore, I'm not really interested in giving you my opinion about what a good work is. We've got to dive into the scripture and have to look at what the Bible defines as a good work. Now, truly sharing the gospel is something that is a good work, and it's something that we Christians need to do. Absolutely. How can we not share the gospel with our neighbors and friends? Okay, but um, let me, I'm going to read to you a couple of passages of scripture that talk about good works, and we're going to we're just do a little bit of work here. Okay, so... Is is the work that you do in your you know in your day to day life as a mother, as a father, as an employee, as an employer, as a president, as a toilet cleaner, as uh, as somebody who changes diapers, as is that a good work? Well, John seems to think so. Well, you've just been brainwashed by me. So, <sighs> First Thessalonians chapter four, starting at verse nine. Let me read this now concerning brotherly love. Oh, okay, here we go. Okay, would, uh, would would you admit that brotherly love is would fall into the category of good works, right? Oh yes. Okay, so here's what it basically boils down to, Raphael. Okay, is that as Christians, we know that our works are not meritorious. They don't merit God's favor. They don't merit His forgiveness or anything like that. And the good works are done literally, um, literally as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and God in Christ sanctifying us. Okay, but, you know, what is a good work? Well, a good work, put, putting a positive spin, or third use of the law here, a good work is, is things by which we love God and which, by which we love our neighbors. So the question is, how do you love your neighbor? Okay, this is, the, this is a fundamental question. The Bible actually answers it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says this, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to uh, to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your own hands as we instructed you, so that you may properly uh, walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I think I can make the case here biblically that. Working with your hands in a vocation that God has put you into falls under the category of brotherly love here. The context of the passage is about brotherly love and to live, aspiring to live a quiet life, mind your own affairs, and to work with your own hands. The vocation God has put you in is one of the ways in which you love your neighbor. You know, I got to tell you, you just, you, well, we've, we've laid a little bit of a biblical foundation for this but let me just give one that just kind of builds off of off of what scripture said that being the case then what happens is is that the farmer who farms the food that my family eats is serving my family in love okay now here's the deal anybody can do this okay the buddhist serves me the muslim serves me the Catholic serves me, the Baptists, the Lutherans, the, the atheists even serve me in their vocation, right? All right? But see, here's the deal, is, is that all of us in our vocation, we, we see it as things we have to do. Through the gospel, it's stuff we get to do. 
Okay, when you look at look at your vocation through the law, it's like, oh, I gotta go to work again. Oh, this is toil. This is terrible. Can't believe I have to do this. You know, I have to drive forty five minutes in traffic every day, and then I gotta drive back, and I barely see my family. You know, I have to put in twelve hours of work, at, and my boss is a jerk. No, no, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's the deal. When you understand through the gospel that now I can serve my neighbor in what I'm doing and it, God sees it as a good work. Okay. And they're not meritorious, but what is, because what does scripture say? Even after we've done everything we've been told to do, we should still consider ourselves to be wicked servants because we've only done what we've been told to do. Uh, That's the law. Okay. But here's the deal through the gospel. Then what happens is, is that work is no longer toil. It's a way in which I serve my neighbor. So now it's like, okay, cool. I get to go to work and I get to serve my boss. I get to serve my customers. I get to serve the people that work with me through the work that I do. Mission field. Yeah, and it becomes a mission field. Okay, and it changes everything. And believe me when I tell you, it even changes, you know, for, for me, I, you know, I own another company. So I actually have a day job. And um, so what happens is, is that, you know, this other company that I own, I go out on sales calls all the time. And one of the things that really stands out is, is, is this philosophy about the fact that, you know, my job is to serve my customers and to serve my employees. And it comes through in our sales presentations. The purpose of, of our company is to partner with and serve you guys. It affects our customer service. It affects how we, we interact with other people. And it makes a big difference. We're not doing this to make a buck. We're doing this to serve you. And that changes everything. It really does. Okay, and the nice thing is, is that scripture right here in First Thessalonians chapter nine basically equates working quietly with your hands and minding your own business to brotherly love. It's a form of brotherly love, which is a good work. Now, Second Thessalonians chapter three, we continue. I'll give you some more passages. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Idle hands at the devil's workshop, by the way. That's not in scripture. That, that was that. Re- oh, never mind. He says, "For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right to, but to give you in our to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you." We would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Notice verse 12 there says, We command and encourage you in the Lord to do your work quietly and to earn your own living. Well, if they're commanding us to do this in the Lord... If we do that, are we not doing a good work? Sounds like it. Sounds like it to me. Okay, so we got it. We got a good cross reference here. Let me give you some other ones. Okay, um, continuing on, actually, Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse thirteen. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. <laughs> so. Working quietly with your hands, not being idle, is considered to be doing good. The scripture equates that with a good work. So, 
without griping even yes exactly and, and again run it through the gospel these are the, this is no longer things we have to do we serve our neighbor in what we do how do we serve him through our work our craftsmanship the excellence that we bring to our job as well as the fact that we're not a burden to other people and that we're providing for ourselves and our own families good work. right these are great ways in which we, and as our neighbors need our good work well the last thing i that would would it be a good work if you know, I made it so that, uh, you know, I, I didn't work at all and just required other people to pay for my every whim and, you know, so I can go fishing and surfing every day. That would be an evil work, right? Does, does God do that or yeah. Well, let me give you another one. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Listen to this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Do you think that being a good wife is a good work according to Scripture? Yes. Well, this is what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Apparently, being a good wife is something that is a good work and pleasing in God's sight. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Do you think being a good husband is a good work? I know Buddhists can do it and stuff like that, but here's the deal. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So without faith, without the gospel... It doesn't matter if you're a good husband, if you are a great employee, a good worker, a model citizen. Works don't merit salvation. Faith is what saves us, right? And that's given to us as a gift. So here's the deal. We as Christians, we have been given faith. And what are we encouraged to do? Be a good husband. Be a good wife. Be a good mother. Be a good father. Be a good employee. Let me continue here in Colossians chapter 3. Children, obey your parents. Do you think being a good child, an obedient child, is a good work? Yes. Okay, yeah, apparently this is too. Uh, For this pleases the Lord. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Apparently being an obedient child is a good work. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So being a good father is a good work? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Slaves. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, here's the deal. Okay, It says, slaves, obey your masters. Well, you're not a slave, okay? But I think this does work with the employee-employer model, okay? We'll just take the word slave out for a minute. Rather than slaves, obey your master, we'll just put in employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly employers or managers, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity, the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Okay, so do you think being a good employee or a good slave is a good work? Yes. Okay, according to Colossians chapter three, that fits. So whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So here, according to Colossians chapter 3, being a good wife is a good work. Being a good husband, being a good child, being a good father, being a good employee or slave. And working as if you're working for the Lord. All considered good works. Right? So there you have it. I think that provides what I would consider a pretty substantial list. But let me give you one more cross-reference. If Starting Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So apparently, being a a slave or servant and serving the Lord, not Christ, is a way of doing the will of God. Which I think that qualifies as a good work. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. <laughs> well, you don't get, you don't, you can't earn the spirit of Christ. It, the spirit of Christ comes by belief, listening with faith. Galatians chapter three says. But here's the deal: we Christians, okay, we're called to do good works. Okay, Ephesians chapter two verses. 8, 9, and 10. Let me, let me pull this up in my computerized Bible just to, by way of showing this for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. All right, Roseboro, computerized Bible. Here we go. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Pretty simple. This is not from your own doing. It is the gift of God. That's, by the way, the salvation and, and faith are the gift of God there. And um, it, is not, it is not a result of works so that no one can boast. Okay? So 8 and 9 make it clear. Salvation is by grace alone. Through faith in Christ alone, it is not of our own doing. That faith is a gift from God, and it's not a result of work so that no one can boast. We got that cleared up. But watch where 10 comes in then. For we are his workmanship, that's Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? So here we are. We are saved completely as a gift, and we're saved, because we're God's workmanship, we're saved for good works. That he created, prepared in advance for us to do. What are the good works that he wants us to do? Be a good father. Be a good mother. Be a good wife. Be a good husband. Be a good employee. That's what all this stuff says. Right. We love our neighbors. We We do the works that God prepared in advance for us to do through the things that we do. Folks, if the farmers decided to stop farming... How would we eat? They serve us through what they do. If mothers decided to just stop rearing their children and, and stop disciplining and being good parents, what would happen to all of society? Anarchy. Anarchy, right? These are truly good works because they're done in Christ, not because they merit God's favor, but because these are the fruits in which... How could you not do these good works? How could you not? You are created by God's workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works flow through the Christian, just like a fruit tree produces fruit. Right? So what are these good works? Well, Raphael, the passages I give you pretty clearly outline the things that you would overlook are the ways in which we are called to obey God, and these are the good works that Scripture calls us to. So many times we think that the scripture is calling us to the profoundly huge and immense thing. Well, I want to have a ministry where I sell one million t-shirts that have a Jesus slogan on it so that I can share it. You know. yeah. <clears throat> Folks? Right. That's a good example. Yeah, a great example. Waking up your, your sister to go, you know, so that she doesn't, isn't late to school. Helping your neighbor with her homework. Simple stuff. Changing diapers, wiping snotty noses, kissing boo-boos, 
and skin. These, these are all good works, and they're beautiful, and they're done in Christ. Going and working in a cubicle day after day, that is a good work. Don't think for a second that it's not. Right, it's it's the scripture we just read says it's pleasing to God. Hmm. Yeah, I see. One of the things I'm afraid of is is that pietistic American way of thinking about things has us thinking that the only thing that's a good work is the extraordinary, profound thing for the kingdom of God. Yeah, leading a Bible study. No, 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 no. Attending a Bible study is a good work. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. Anyway, so there you go, Raphael. I hope that helps. And if you have any further questions, don't hesitate to email me back with follow-up questions. I let the chick ask me follow-up questions, so you can ask me question follow-up questions too. Yeah, Pam, the chick. So, <laughs> all right, here we go. From <clears throat> I should probably do this right. We got, we got to play our, our our news music because this is just ridiculous. Okay, here here, here we go. It's it's time for the news. Headline reads, How to Share Your Faith Using Paris Hilton's My New BFF. (sighs) Man. From the Christian Post, dated Friday, November 14th, 2008. By Jane Dratz. (laughs) Christian Post guest columnist. (sighs) Alright, you ready for this? How to Share Your Faith Using Paris Hilton's My New BFF. If you set out to purposely choose a new best friend, what would you be looking for? You're going to ballet that up with me? I, I, well, hang on. For, you, for your entertainment viewing, Paris Hilton has, her best, has, her, has put her best friend criteria out there for the world to see in her new TV reality series, Paris Hilton's My New BFF. Starting with 16 potential new BFFs, that's best friends forever, each episode of the MTV series follows the high drama of Paris testing, manipulating, provoking, demeaning, and rejecting those want-to-be jet-setters. It's a reality TV show where the winner gets to be a jet-setter and gets to be Paris Hilton's new BFF. I wonder if she'll dress her in pink and give her a chihuahua. Oh, man. This is this is a real piece trying to teach you how to share your Christian faith. And you know, I don't. I hate to admit this. When I was on my trip to Chicago, I was, it was a Sunday afternoon. I was in my uh, hotel room and I was flipping channels, and I actually ran across the show. and I, And it was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. I, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It's like you know, I actually watched like half of an episode, and by the end, I I felt my brain cells dying. They were physically going, lack of oxygen, can't make it much longer. Change the channel, change the channel. It was the most petty. It was the most obscenely shallow, ridiculous. I mean lowest common denominator of humanity kind of stuff I've ever seen in my life. So when I saw this thing come across my uh, my blog reader, I couldn't believe it. How to share your faith using Paris Hilton's new B- my new BFF. I mean, tell you what, we got a little bit of time we'll, before our next break. I would like to play for you um some audio from one of the from one of the uh, Paris Hilton's episodes of my new BFF. Okay, so that you can get a feel for what's going on. And, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, um, we're on Pirate Christian Radio. We're not on an FCC-regulated channel. So you're actually – I'm not going to censor this, okay? 
they censor themselves regarding the bad words, but I hate to say it. There's, you know, they use the Lord's name in vain here, and I'm not going to bleep it out. So if that offends you, I understand. I'm sorry. But I want you to hear what the Christian post is encouraging us to use to share our Christian faith. Okay? I, I can't get over this. this is ridiculous. Anyway, here, so here we go from Paris Hilton's My New BF. You'll even get to hear her theme song in here. And everything is really that gross neon pinky. It looks like Pepto-Bismol on this website. Here we go. Last time on My New BFF. Vegas! I took the remaining dolls to my favorite party town, Las Vegas. I made my little friends dress up like showgirls. This is really fun. <laughs> and perform on stage for me. Okay, already I'm ready to like vomit. Okay, just the, the you're not seeing the pictures here. I mean, you've got Paris Hilton in this literally like a white throne holding court while these poor little girls who worship this lady, you know, are dressed up as Las Vegas showgirls. Okay, and there was a little clip that you didn't see it. They were all doing shots before they went out on stage. Okay, we continue. Ugh. Unexpected challenge had everyone feeling stabbed in the back. Lauren especially. I'm not the same personality that can handle this. By the end of the trip, Kiki's attitude and sense of entitlement got the better of her. And I had to say goodbye to my Miami mama. Find out what happens now when the search for my new BFF continues. Come on everyone, sing along if you know the lyrics. We're having a party here in the studio. John, go get the shots. No, we don't have any. It's hard. I feel another challenge coming on. All right, there's there's Paris Hilton sitting in her white throne, holding courts, and she's got another challenge coming on. These these girls, ugh, they're they sycophants. That's what these girls are. They're sycophants. I mean. Uh, what's the difference between a brown noser and a butt kisser? Depth perception. We continue. In Vegas for one more night. <laughs> Who wants to add boys to the mix? I do. Oh, they're going to add boys to the mix. Let's hear what this little challenge is all about. They're still in Vegas. They're going to add boys into the mix. Alcohol. <laughs> Ladies, next time I see you at the mansion in L.A., I want it to be wall-to-wall -wall men. Ugh. Mary and Joseph. Well, see, there we go. We got a biblical reference there. Uh, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, after saying something that got bleeped out. That's a biblical illusion. We can share our faith because she she mentions Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So hit Vegas now and find guys who are willing to make the trip. <gasps> Back to the house. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll make sure the travel is all taken care of. Isn't that generous of Paris? Go. Looking to be impressed, ladies. This is not hard for me. I can pick out the guy that I think is the cutest in the room, approach him, tell him what's up, and invite him to come hang out. We got a dope ass mansion. Who wouldn't want to? When We've got a dope ass mansion. This is so Christian. You know, in fact, I want my daughters watching this so that they can learn how to share their faith using this. You don't want your daughter there? No, it, you know what, though? Since they can't be on this season, maybe next season I'll encourage my daughters to... Uh. Hunting expedition ends. I'll be rating your catches on a scale from 1 to 10. There will be consequences. 
Oh, they have to catch the best looking guys or there will be consequences. You guys ready for it? Hell yeah. I love boys. Ready. It's a manhunt, ladies. I think I'm going to sober it up a little here and never drink again. Now, there they are. They're doing shots at Dos Caminos in uh, Las Vegas. I counted three shots. Is this the fourth one they're doing right now? Is that the same girl that said I'm not doing Yeah, see, the one girl who said she's going to sober up, she's. I counted one, two, three. This is their fourth shot. Apparently, you can't pick up guys in a bar while sober. We continue. These girls are getting ready to find out what most men already know. It's not easy trying to pick up somebody in a bar. It takes nerve, confidence, drive, and a thick skin. Wow, so what she really values in her new BFF is the ability to pick up guys in a bar. That's a skill I want my daughters having. Thing I need in a new BFF when we jet set the world together. But most importantly, they'll need to always keep their composure. Even if things don't go their way. Well, you don't want to kiss my hand? Well, fine then. Then we started walking all over the club trying to find the hottest guy. I was like, ew, it's like a meat market in there. It's just like a bunch of loser, desperate guys who like just want to hook up with girls. I see some A-team kind of guys, so I approach a few. Like, when I grow up, I just want to shake my ass on MTV. I met two basketball players and a guy who worked there. Can I get your name and number on a piece of paper? I found three guys, and all three of them wanted to come back to the mansion and party. I love man can- Wow, she found three of them that wanted to party with her. Could it be the cleavage that's showing in her dress? <sighs> and the fact that she's drunk and gets to go to LA for free and party at the Paris Hilton mansion (sighs) can't you just feel the Christian themes just oozing out of the show right now I was pretty much right at home so I rocked it with confidence I was kind of nervous because it's always awkward when you like meet guys it's just really hard to find like First of all, guys that are attractive, and second of all, guys that don't act like a total douchebag. But, you know, we were told to go there, and if we didn't find a guy, there'd be consequences. So I told myself, I am coming back with the guy. Yeah, I can feel these girls are going to heaven. Just, out of, these are... But I was looking for David Beckham. Okay, it's weird, I play soccer. Do you really? Yeah. He was cute, I guess. So you're from Australia, too? Yeah. I went up to a group of guys. I just kind of introduced myself. I found a guy. I told him about coming back to L.A., and he sounded like he was really interested in it. I've always wanted to be a model. You're very pretty, so you can easily do it. Oh, thank you. So what do you do? I'm a boring old accountant. By the way, the guy that's picking, trying to pick up on this chick, this uh, Paris Hilton wannabe, he's wearing a wedding ring. It was cute and nice, and it was a lot of fun. And then Lauren comes up. You know, they should do with Saddleback ought to do the Paris Hilton's BFF, uh, new BFF's Bible study. They could be a small group curriculum. I mean, they did it for High School Musical 3. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you, you, you get what's going on here. This is pretty much what this show is about. 
I mean, could it get any more shallow and vain and, you know, you know, is this the kind of stuff? I don't even want my children watching this, yet alone using this to share their faith. <sighs> anyway, we're going to take our second break. When we come back, we'll, we'll read more about how to share your faith using Paris Hilton's My New BFF. I won't bore you anymore with some of the details. I won't play any more of Paris's show, but I think you get an idea what this is about. I mean, these are truly good Christian upstanding women here who are picking up guys in a bar in Vegas after taking four shots. That I, I counted only I counted only four, you know, because you can't pick up guys sober. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on today's show, you can do so at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology made accessible. Hey, John, will you be my new BFF? <laughs> Wait a second. You jumped at that a little too quickly. That's it. I'm voting you off my mansion. <sighs> if I did a reality TV show, what would it be? 
it would show me eating. My wife's incredible cooking, that's for sure. Uh, Chris Rosebro's uh, uh, reality gluttony show. I, I don't know. Uh. Yeah, surfing the net. (laughs) That's right. I can have a reality TV show based upon your ability to to be a spiritual dumpster diver like me. Because that's how I spend my afternoons. Spiritual dumpster diving. I've got it down. It's a spiritual gift that no one's got better than I got. There's a few out there that are contending for, you know, the spiritual dumpster diver of the year award. But uh, I like to think I got them all beat. All right, so this latest little thing from my latest spiritual dumpster dive. How to share your faith using Paris Hilton's My New BFF. Can I just ask a really dumb question? How come the Christian Post doesn't have a series of articles on how to share your faith using the Bible? That's not not relevant. You know, we're going to have to do a Marty Python sketch, you know, where somebody comes up with the idea of you know, sharing their faith using the Bible and have everyone like, including Rick Warren and, and Bill Hybels and them saying it can't be done. You know, no, 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 (laughs) nobody does that anymore. It can't be done. No, we can't use the Bible anymore. So what are we, what are we left with? Paris Hilton's my new BFF. You know, here's the deal on the morality scale, as far as redeeming moral qualities, this to me just seems like it's only one step above, like, you know, the annual Playboy Playmate of the Year edition of Playboy Magazine. Why can't we have a How to Share Your Faith using Playboy Magazine's Playmate of the Year? Girls Gone Wild. Gr- or Girls Gone Right, Girls Gone Wild. How to Share Your Faith using Girls Gone Wild. Yes. Why couldn't we? I mean, this is only like. An inch at the most above that. You know, that's how ridiculous this is. All right. We're going to read now from Jane Dratt's column, How to Share Your Faith Using Paris Hilton's My New BFF. Best friends forever. (laughs) Until you say something and stab me in the back, and then I'm going to throw you under the bus. Anyway, all right, so if you set out to purposely choose a new best friend, what would you be looking for? Your entertainment viewing, uh, for your entertainment viewing, Paris Hilton has put her new, her best friend criteria out there for the world to see in her new TV reality series, Paris Hilton's My New BFF. Starting with 16 potential new BFFs, each episode of the MTV series follows the high drama of Paris testing, manipulating, provoking, demeaning, rejecting these wannabe jet setters. You might be shocked to learn what she's looking for in a friend, or maybe not. The BFF song lyrics opening the show each week target some great BFF qualities, but as she unpacks her criteria week after week and stages various activities and tests, it's becoming increasingly apparent that her list of desirable BFF traits are stacking up very differently. The most recent test she put uh, put her auditioning BFFs through appear to value gorgeous looks, a willingness to be bullied by her, an inclination for snitching, and vindictive backstabbing top-notch partying skills and the ability to use sexuality to manipulate others. All the qualities I want my daughter to have. Right. To which, basically, I ask, Jane, why are you watching this show? Serious? Okay. Now, while there's plenty to be outraged by here, uh, yeah, you bet your bippy there is, um, the series does raise an interesting question. What makes for a great BFF? Oh, I know. 
Would it be, Jesus can be your new BFF. Because that's what Jesus came to earth for, to be your best friend forever. He's your forever best friend. And don't worry, Jesus won't stab you in the back or use sexuality to manipulate you. Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry, that was Roseboro inserting. We continue. Um, clearly, it's not the character qualities Parasilia is deliberating listening. Genuine friendships are born out of relationships and based on shared experiences, common interest, and an authentic sense of finding a kindred spirit. Not as a result of being taunted, tested, and tried while others around you are being crumpled up and discarded like a used Kleenex. Best friends' relationships go deep and are grounded in mutual care and concern. <sighs> Is is this the theme of the Bible? I'm serious. I mean, I... <clears throat> quoting from the message paraphrase, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, um, said, well, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. I, I did not know the Bible said that. Love does not strut doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. This is like the Rick Warren uh, version, isn't it? The message. (sighs) To be a good friend to others, the Bible challenges us to be committed, selfless, non-envious, humble, patient, generous, forgiving, grace-giving, God-focused, and in it for the long haul. Pretty much the opposite of what you find going down each week on the BFF series. The great news is that Christian, as Christians, we know someone who models this kind of selfless giving personal relationship. Models it. So if what basically what it comes down to on the using Paris Hilton's new BFF show is to realize that what would Jesus do? Because he's a model for us to follow. So here's how she recommends. Skipping forward a little bit because I'm getting angry. Uh, Here's what uh, Jane Dratz recommends. Take some time this week to talk to your friends about God's amazing desire to call us to, to be his friends. Here are some ideas to help you move the conversation in a spiritual direction. Okay, so this is how you do it. Are you ready? This is the punchline. How do you use Paris Hilton's... My new BFF to to share your faith. You use these questions. Here they are. Ask your friends if they've heard of or watched the MTV show Paris Hilton's My New BFF. If so, what do they think of Paris's approach to finding a new best friend? Next question. How would you go about looking for a best friend? I can just feel them getting closer to the kingdom with each question that we ask. Next question, what do you value in friendships and why? (laughs) Hey, this is how you share your faith. You're asking these questions and basically manipulating them using BFF talk. Okay, here we go. What did, did you know, the next question is, do, do you know the Bible has something to say about what contributes to healthy relationships? Share with them 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has to say. Apparently, you're only supposed to use the message paraphrase about not strutting and reveling and groveling and taking pleasure in the flower of truth. Okay, and then here's the clincher question. 
See, because all these other questions, you're you're kind of leading somebody along and drawing them closer to the kingdom of God. And now we're going to go for the kill. This is the kill question here. This is this is the closer. Ready? Did you know the Bible tells us that through Jesus's gift of salvation, we can become friends of God? Now share what that looks like in your life. <sighs> Folks, um, we need to just go back to using the Bible. This is re- this is ridiculous. This is stupid. I mean, I'm serious. Okay, so the clincher question is, did you know the Bible tells us that through Jesus' gift of salvation, we become friends of God? Now, technically that's true. I mean, you could, there's even Bible verses to support it. But then rather than sharing those Bible verses, we're supposed to share what that looks like in our lives. <sighs> so well-intentioned, <laughs> so well-meaning, so wrong. <laughs> this, this is ridiculous. Oh, man. It, folks, this, the reason why the church is in such a pathetic state today is because people don't actually read their Bibles, think that knowing what their Bible says is important, studying their Bibles, using their Bibles for evangelism, and, and use, instead we've got to use gimmicks like asking manipulative questions based upon somebody's may supposed interest in Paris Hilton's MTV show, My New Best Friend Forever. Yeah, you know, what's that line from The Treasure of the Sierra Madre? You know, show us your badges. We don't need no bad. We don't need no stinking badges. Yeah. Can you show me your Bible? Bible? We don't need no stinking Bible. Give me Paris Hilton, man. Oh, trash. <laughs> it's now in the trash. Transitioning here again here. Um, we're going to spend the rest of our program today listening to Oprah <laughs> and Ed Bacon. Oprah has a uh, radio program on channel 156 on XM radio. And uh, this, the series is called the Souls, Oprah's Soul Series. And, uh, folks, this is some scary stuff. And th- what makes it even scarier is that supposedly we have the Reverend Ed Bacon uh, from All Saints Episcopal Church in Pasadena. That's right. You know, that's not too far from D'Onofrio's uh, congregation, you know, out there. And, um, it, well, I don't think D'Onofrio would ever be asked to be on, on Oprah. I just don't see that happening anytime soon, like in this lifetime or in the next millennia. Maybe in the second millennia after the third one. <sighs> Anyway, the Reverend Ed Bacon is, uh, he's the rector of All Saints Episcopal Church in in Pasadena, California. Uh, Since 1985, the Reverend Ed, as most call him, was born in 1948, grew up in the Deep South, the son of a Baptist preacher. He graduated from Mercer University in 1969 and headed to Vanderbilt University Law School, but uh, law wasn't his calling. Instead, the Reverend Ed left Vanderbilt and returned to Mercer University to work in campus ministry, it was there that he discovered his lifelong vocation to serve as a minister. Around the same time, the Reverend Ed became a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War. In 1971, uh, Reverend Ed was ordained as a Baptist minister. More than a decade later, he and his wife, Hope Hendricks Bacon, were led to the more liberal Episcopal Church. The the Reverend Ed graduated from the Chandler School of Theology in Emory University, and before coming to All Saints, he served at churches in Mississippi and Georgia. That's his dossier. And he shows up on this program wearing his clerical collar. So, and what are he and Oprah going to talk about? They're going to talk about um, 
religious beliefs versus spiritual pursuits, spirit, religious religion versus spirituality. And we're going to unpack this for you. I definitely recommend staying tuned and listening to this because this is some frightening stuff. And the fact that Oprah is literally impacting tens of millions of people, uh, 37 million people downloaded her, uh, her series with Eckhart Tolle, the new age guru at Eckhart Tolle. This woman is having a huge profound impact on spirituality in America dangerous stuff and the fact she's here talking with supposedly someone who is a christian pastor just makes it even worse so look at, we we start off now here's oprah talking about her conversation with the reverend ed bacon welcome to my soul series soul series is part of oprah and friends exclusively on xm radio channel 156 and you can listen to the entire soul series collection on xmradio.com slash oprah There are a lot of people these days who seem to be very conflicted about spirituality versus religion. I understand this because being raised as a uh, Southern Baptist and developing into a greater sense of spirituality, I too had some of the same conflicts. So today I wanted to bring that conversation into the light here on our webcast and on Exum Radio. I happened to see an interview not too long ago uh, by a gentleman named Reverend Ed Bacon, who's our guest today. Now, Reverend Ed Bacon, as it turns out, is the rector of the All Saints Church in Pasadena, California. I didn't know this when I first saw him being interviewed, but as I watched that interview and he was discussing how God had sent Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days to grapple with Satan, and that that really was a part of grappling with his ego, I thought... This sounds so spiritual and profound. This is so deep, it's almost unfathomable. Little pirate lingo there. That's that's a cool dude. Never heard a preacher talk about Satan or the grappling of Satan in terms of the ego. I loved what he had to say on that topic and loved the sincerity and authority with which he had to say it. So, Reverend Bacon is here, and I've invited him to talk about how spirituality fits in with religion and where religion fits in with spirituality. It's a conversation that hopefully will give us some new insights. That's right. And, and, and being uh, being the uh, pushy, fat white guy, I'm just going to butt in on the conversation and interject my thoughts into it. It's a conversation. So I, I know she didn't invite me in, but just think of this as me being invited into Oprah's studio to interject and react to what they're saying. That just is, yeah, I'm a party crasher. And a new way of thinking, or not, about our lives. It's uplifting, enlightening, truly powerful. Welcome to Soul Series. Welcome to my Soul Series. As we wrap taping last season, we just completed our first ever 10-week global web class with Eckhart Tolle. That's some of the most fun I ever had, um, talking to all of y'all for 10 weeks straight every Monday night. Millions of you participated. So far, I hear 37 million of you have downloaded uh, that webcast and were in turn introduced to this rate. 37 million. That is greater than 10% of the U.S. population. That is greater than 10% of the U.S. population that have downloaded her 10-week series on Eckhart Tolle. That's some frightening stuff there, too. By the way, I've read that. 
her, that uh, that book. Whoa, we'll have to do we'll have to do some review on that too. Here we go. Video show by way of the webcast. So I welcome you to season three of our Soul series. There are many, so many of you who I know are. Um, who are earnest and you are faithful and you are deeply religious uh, and you're having a difficult time reconciling your religious beliefs with the spiritual pursuit. I have heard from a number of you who are in honest pursuit of answers for yourself. Um, I don't read the more vitriolic ones where people try to you know, accuse me of being the Antichrist because I don't need that in my life. Okay, note to self. Uh, Roseboro, don't call Oprah the Antichrist because she doesn't need that in her life. Okay, Oprah, uh, let's continue. But I do understand this question of trying to reconcile your faith with a new sense of spirituality and opening because I too experienced that because I didn't want to have to throw away the way I'd been raised, everything I had been taught to believe and, and felt in my heart to be true. Okay, a little commentary here. Um, just adding to the conversation, just butting in. Um, here's the deal: is that she wants her cake and she wants to have her cake and eat it too. Okay, so she wants to hold on to the religious beliefs that she was taught as a Southern Baptist and yet embrace these new things. Okay, and um, well, the problem is is that they're mutually exclusive and they're contradictory. Okay. And so you're going to listen as these people twist themselves into a logical pretzel in the hopes of somehow maintaining some Christian concepts while embracing these newer things. Now, here's the deal, folks. This comes down to the doctrine of sola scriptura. Okay? When we talk about spiritual things, where, how can we speak authoritatively? How do we know where God has definitively spoken? Right? Well, there's people who are into the liver shivers and subjective things and experiences. And as for me, I trust only God's word. Sola, meaning alone. Scripture. Scripture alone. And what I'm going to point out along the way is I want to point this out. We'll deconstruct this as they're doing it how they attack the Bible and set up a false authority so that you will listen to what they have to say spiritually. This is always how Satan works. Think back to the Garden of Eden, right? What happens in the Garden of Eden? Well, maybe I should open my Bible. We'll do a little biblical work here. I think we're in Genesis chapter 3, right? Okay. Yeah, we are. Listen to this. Uh, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent said to the woman, that's Eve, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? First question, <laughs> the literally folks, I can't reiterate this enough. Satan always, 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 always wants to unbuckle you from God's word. As soon as he can separate you from God's word, He's going to interject all kinds of spiritual poison. This is how it's done, okay? Did God really say? That's the first question. Did God really say? Uh, Already, Eve is on the ropes. The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, Oh, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So there it is. First attack is the same attack that Satan always gives. This is literally the same exact attack. Same technique, same doctrine. Get you to question what God said, insert a false authority, claim something other than what God says, and teach you that God wants you to be divine. You'll be like God. That's Satan's attack. And we're going to watch this play out exactly as we just read in Genesis chapter 3 here on Oprah. This is the same thing. Here we go. And so a lot of the questions I know that arise, how, for instance, can one who recognizes that Jesus is God also recognize the divinity within themselves or how the, can the what? How can one who recognizes Jesus as God also recognize the divinity within themselves? God doesn't want you to eat the fruit because the, when you do, you'll be like God. Uh, we're not divine, Oprah. We're the creature. God's the creator. We continue. And a person who's Jewish, who believes there is one God, believe in the existence of a collective consciousness. So these are all questions that I know on some level or another many people are having. I had them myself, and I wanted to help you, help us navigate some of those questions. So I thought I would be um, be helpful to invite on the show a bona fide authority on this matter. Okay, now stop. Okay, what, she's, she's going to introduce Ed Bacon here, and how has she introduced him as a bona fide authority on this matter? He's a bona fide authority. She's pointing us to him as an authority on this matter. Well, the only, he's a Christian pastor, and the only authority he would have as a Christian pastor would be God's word. Okay, but let's watch what he does. So already, okay, here we've got, we've got a competing authority. He's a bona fide authority on religion versus spirituality, according to Oprah. So she's now put on him this mantle of spiritual authority. Right? Here we go. A man of the cloth, of the cloth, and who happens to be the rector of the All Saints Church in Pasadena, Reverend Ed Bacon. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. So, um, Reverend Ed, your other designation at the church, I hear, is uh, chief spiritual officer. (laughs) We're always trying to find 21st century language Mm -hmm. to explain church ease, Mm -hmm. church language. Mm -hmm. Rector is my official title and... I think it would be Wrecker. W-R-E-C-K <laughs> Wrecker. Some people say, well, that's a kind of a spiritual CEO, isn't it, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So, yeah. It means you run things there. I'm in charge. Yeah, you're in charge. I'm the old guy. And All Saints is, a, is, is, is a, I've heard it described as a liberal activist church. Does that mean it's Christ-centered? Now, this is, uh, uh-oh. Hey, Wilkin, I hope you're listening to this, because listen to what he does with this. She's asking the question, well, you're a liberal activist church. Does that mean you're Christ-centered? Good question. question. Watch how he answers this. Okay, by the way, if you're going to say that your church is Christ-centered, folks, that that term can mean a lot of things. I think that's the reason why, on his sermon reviews, uh, Wilkin will count up how many times Jesus is mentioned, because it can't be about Christ. It can't be a Christ-centered sermon if Christ isn't mentioned. But watch how the Reverend Ed Bacon defines Christ-centered. 
It's very Christ-centered because we think that in Christ is the balance of spirituality and justice. What? What does that mean? Because we think that in Christ is the balance of spirituality and justice? Are, where are those words in the Bible? Um, they're not. Isn't that weird? Okay. By the way, on this authority thing, just want to remind you what the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians. The opening verses of Galatians, Paul says to the Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that's contrary to the one that we preached, let him be eternally condemned. In case you missed it, Paul reiterates his point in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be eternally condemned. The Apostle Paul, from that pristine first century Christian church, one of the early Christian, one of the early Christ followers, as my emergent fellows would say, right? And he's saying if someone's preaching another gospel, let him be eternally condemned. He's not really mixing any words there. So, and Paul basically says it doesn't matter if I preach it or an angel from heaven. It doesn't matter whoever is, quote, preaching it. Let him be eternally condemned. So the Reverend Ed Bacon here is saying that his church is Christ-centered. And why? Because in Christ, is he's the center of spirituality and justice? And that's what we're about, trying to make love tangible in three ways, through spirituality, community, and peace and justice. Hmm. And we think that Jesus made love tangible. Followers of Jesus, we think he was kind of the paragon of all of that. Mm-hmm. No, he considers himself to be a Christ follower. There's that term again. doesn't mean anything about trusting in Christ, though, does it? Uh, Christ and him crucified for our sins? hasn't shown up on his radar yet. Well, let's continue. Yeah. Do you teach that Jesus is the Savior? We do. Mm-hmm. And we, as a Christian church, we certainly believe that Jesus is the Savior and that Jesus is the Son of God, etc. Right. But when you are in... Uh, but. There's that word, but. <laughs> well, yeah, we do, do, do. But. Remember, but is a verbal eraser. Okay? All right. Whenever, whenever you say the word "but," it erases what you just said in ahead of it. Yeah, we believe that Jesus is the Savior, and, and then He's the Son of God. But let's continue. In the pew at All Saints, what you're hearing emphasized more than those rather doctrinal and dogmatic issues. That- oh, what you hear emphasized rather than those dogmatic and doctrinal. Can't have any dogma or doctrine, can we? Notice what's under attack here, folks. Dogma and doctrine, right? Okay. <clears throat> I got a little biblical work that I did. I just want to point a few verses out to you, folks. Paul writing, Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles that are contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. <clears throat> Notice that in verse 17, Paul is telling you to watch out for those who teach things that are contrary to the doctrines you receive. Apparently, the Apostle Paul thought doctrine was an important thing. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11 
says this regarding the church and spiritual gifts. It says, and he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness. Apparently, uh, God gave us, you know, pastors and shepherds and teachers to build up the body of Christ so we wouldn't be deceived by every wind of doctrine, right? But rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body is joined and held together. Okay, so there we go. So we're supposed to speak the truth, truth in love. And what's a bad thing is winds of doctrine that are false. Paul, writing to Timothy, the young pastor, says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So apparently Paul wanted young Pastor Timothy to charge certain persons not to teach different doctrines. So, hmm, okay. Why is this pastor setting himself up against dogma and doctrine then? If the Bible is so in favor of doctrine. As his own? Oh, yeah, because doctrine divides. You know, doctrine divides truth from error, light from darkness, evil from good. And he wants to hold on to false doctrine. So what is he attacking? He's attacking doctrine. Notice, that's what's under attack. You attack God's word. You attack God's doctrine. You attack the Bible as an authority so that you can instead insert your own. How does that thing go on Mythbusters? I reject your reality and I insert my own reality, right? That's right. This is what's going on here. Heads or tails, yeah. both. Yeah, heads or tails, both, right? Okay, here we go. First Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, it says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Silly myths, mythology, stuff that's not true. Rather, train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness of, is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving and full of acceptance. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, we can, it says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. That's, um, well, there we go. What's the reference on that verse, by the way? Puffed. Okay. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay, the First Timothy chapter 6, verse, those, but those with, First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. The Bible seems to think doctrine's a good thing. A false doctrine's a bad thing, and good doctrine is a good thing. That's the way the scriptures talk about Doctrine. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. First, Corinth, uh, First Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. 
Or how about this? Titus chapter 1, starting verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or a violent or greedy for gain. I guess that kind of rules out Paris Hilton. Um, But hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Man, the scriptures seem to be in favor of doctrine and rebuking people who teach false doctrine. Titus chapter 1, verse 10, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what ought not to be taught. But as for you, chapter 10, verse 1, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Okay, so, all right, so who am I going to believe? Am I going to believe the Reverend Ed Bacon, or am I going to believe the Apostle Paul who wrote these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? I think the Bible, you know what, I'm putting my money on the Bible, okay? But watch what's under attack here. Watch how he does it. He's attacking doctrine. Why? Because he's teaching false doctrine. That's how this works. Doesn't matter if he's wearing a collar. Doesn't Ooh. matter if, mm-hmm. if does, doesn't matter if Oprah has given him his, her seal of approval. He's teaching false doctrine. Whether if we or an angel from heaven, that would include Ed Bacon. Even if we are Ed Bacon from heaven, preaches to you a gospel other than the one preached by Paul, let him be eternally condemned. Christian church, we certainly believe that Jesus is the Savior and that Jesus is the Son of God, etc. Right. But when you are in the pew at All Saints, what you're hearing emphasized more than those rather doctrinal and dogmatic issues mm-hmm. that kind of go along with religion. Mm-hmm. Oh, dogma and doctrine go with religion. That's bad. Is about your connection with God, your connection with the Spirit, your connection with the cosmos, your connection with other people, and your connection with your deepest self. Mm. Mm. Your deepest self. Man, I, I know all about my deepest self. He is a wicked, terrible sinner. Mm. There's Oprah literally just sucking all this stuff up. Mm, this is deep. Is this biblical? No. You won't find anything in Scripture. You won't find Christ teaching any of this crap anywhere in the Scripture. This guy is arrogant and puffed up and is not teaching what accords with sound doctrine. What does the Bible tell us to do with those? Rebuke them. That's what's most important for us to emphasize because we, we, we have folks who are abused religiously and spiritually mm-hmm. who are searching and they want to hear some things that are comforting and challenging and empowering. How about the gospel? If they want to hear something comforting, how about the gospel? Yes, maybe Stuart Small. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough and gosh darn people like me. I think the gospel is very comforting. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Very comforting. Let me continue. Okay, as a man of the cloth, right. you're actually wearing the collar, and of God, can you help uh, our audience understand what spirituality is? You know, I have been trying for years in many different forms on my show, 
to not only say what it is on my television show and on this radio show also to say not only say what it is but to demonstrate um, the essence of spirit and I remember many years ago in the 90s I was doing a show uh, based on a book called The Anatomy of Spirit by Carolyn Mays you know mm-hmm. you familiar with her mm-hmm. all right we we're in the middle of doing the show and I could see the audience their eyes are glazing over so because I try to stay you know see if you're hearing what we're saying are you responding to it and I stopped the show uh, the taping of the show and said hey audience what's going on because people were listless their eyes were going and I said um, this was about ni- 95 or so and someone woman stood up and says no we don't get it I don't get what are you talking about mm. spirit are you talking about Jesus are you talking about the disciples because mm. that's the only spirit I know mm. and I said no I'm talking about the spirit that lives inside of all of us you know because you know you have a mind you have a body and you have a spirit and back in the, this is the mid 90s I would say the majority of that audience didn't know what I was talking about that's because back in the mid-90s, probably the majority of your audience still understood what Christianity was because they had pastors that were actually preaching from the Word rather than Paris Hilton. <sighs> Man. I, you know, I'm waiting for the Playboy Bible study. I just, Why not? This is ridiculous. So back in the 90s, people didn't understand what she was saying because it, it doesn't jive with anything that's biblical. You know, but now people do jive. So this is progress. I think we've progressed a little bit now. No, I think we've gone completely backwards. This is not good progress. This is bad. But I, I, I'm, I always stumble in trying to explain the the essence of what spirituality means. That's because the Bible doesn't talk about the concept. You're just making this stuff up. It means whatever you want it to mean, Oprah, because it's a meaningless category. So I'm going to let you take a stab at it. All right, here's my stab. Okay. I think it's the experience of feeling unconditionally loved. Okay, there you go. Experience. Subjective experience. The if, Spirituality is the experience of feeling unconditionally loved. You're emotional. You're, it's, it's, it's emotionalism. Okay? So much, so powerfully, that you know... There is some power greater than you are loving you. Okay, let's talk about biblical love here for a second. Emotion versus... Okay, now here's the deal. John, quick question. Okay, were you there when Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago? No. You weren't? Old. You're not that old? No. Okay. I'm not that old either. I missed it just by a couple years. Okay, so you weren't there. Okay, um... So you didn't get to experience that, did you? No. No, you didn't. So, so I mean, what what are we going to do with you? I have a promise. Oh, you have a promise. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we got to do a little biblical work here. We're in Romans chapter 5, by the way. Do a little more. Um, therefore, verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. 
Oh, I don't. I would love to hear Joel Osteen preach on that. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here we go. God's love is being poured into our hearts. How? Next verse. For while we were still weak at the right time, weak is actually not the best. Powerless would probably be a better translation of that Greek word there. For while we were still powerless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? So you weren't there when Christ died, right? But yet here it says, by the way, did, did you do you feel anything about what, what are you experiencing when I read this to you? Are you feeling anything there? No one fuzzy. No I mean, either. Maybe it's just because we're men. See, that's it. We're brain damaged. Men have brain damage. Or how does, how does Bill Cosby say it? Dame bramage? Okay. Okay, so I'm reading this passage and I'm just not feeling it, right? Who cares if you feel it? It's true whether you feel it or not. How does God demonstrate his love for us? In that while we were still sinners and powerless, Christ died for us. Now, notice the love he's talking about is some kind of experiential, spiritual thing, completely discombobulated and disconnected from the res- from Christ's death and resurrection for our sins. OK, so we continue here with uh, the Reverend Ed Bacon. This love that you are experiencing mm-hmm. is coming from a great power and it's filling you so much that you want to love other people. Notice he's not talking about Christ and him crucified for our sins. He's talking about some kind of experience, disembodied experience of love. That, to me, is the experience of spirituality. Can I tell you a story? Please. Okay, now, remember when we talk about authority. Authority. Sola Scriptura. Folks, stay in your Bibles, and I don't care if an angel from heaven preaches to you about an experience he had, don't believe him. Who are you going to believe? I'm going to ask this question right now because he's going to tell you an experience. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God's word or are you going to believe Ed Bacon? When I was five, Mm -hmm. I was playing alone in a pine grove in South Georgia. And all of a sudden, I felt enveloped by warmth and light. And I heard inaudibly. In the deepest part of myself, Mm -hmm. you are the most beloved creature in all of creation. At the same time I got that message, I also heard, and every other person is the most beloved creature in all of creation. All right, so look at this. This God talks to this guy. So you can believe everything he says about spirituality, right? That's how this game is played, folks. This is how the devil deceives the nations. You trust God's word, and you take Ed Bacon and all of his words, and you compare them to the word of God. And if what he says doesn't jive with Scripture, Ed Bacon, I'm sorry to say it so strongly, is literally an agent of the devil himself. 
come to deceive you and drag you into hell so that you don't hear the message of Christ and him crucified for your sins, but instead sends you off in a different direction. Don't read your Bible because there's dogma and doctrine and religion there. But instead, we're going to point you towards this disembodied experiential thing. Come wander away from God's word. Come this way. That's right. We're going to make you comfortable before we kill you. Changed my life. It it made my life what it is. It is that experience of unconditional love that is so over. So was this a voice or a feeling? I want to. How come I never get a voice? <laughs> Good gracious! You, I want a voice like Moses had. You know, but was it a voice or a feeling? No, it was. It was something that transcends those kind of yes, categories. Okay. Right. Um, there's this wonderful story about Elijah mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, and he was. I love Elijah. Uh, you know, when I grew up, I was reading all the Bible. Really, Oprah, you love Elijah. Have you read the uh, story of uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal and uh, and Asherah on Mount Carmel? Uh, They were killed afterwards because their God was false. I wonder if she likes that story. Elijah was one of my favorites, so uh, let's see if I know this story. Of course you do. You know, he wanted to hear God, and there came an earthquake, then a wind, and then a fire. And God was not in the earthquake, wind, or fire, right. but in the still, small voice. Oh, you got to listen for that still, small voice. Forget the words on the page in the Bible. God is in the still, small voice. And notice he's using a Bible passage to get you away from listening to the Bible. Isn't that a wonderful satanic trick? We're going to quote a Bible passage to lead you away from hearing God's word in Scripture and lead you off towards these ethereal spiritual experiences that teach you satanic lies. That is God. In the still small voice. And that's the importance of the work that you did with Tola. Mm-hmm. Because he says that we have to go to stillness. He's so right. Whenever we... No, he's wrong. He, we need to go to God's word. Not, not to stillness. To God's word. He will choose, mm-hmm. make a decision, mm-hmm. to make time for the experience of stillness in our lives. Like a basin of silty water that's all muddy Mm -hmm. and you let it sit on a table Mm -hmm. until the silt goes to the bottom of the basin and then you have clear water at the top. That's right. That's what stillness does. And that's spirituality. Whoa. Sounds like Rob Bell. Let us go to silence. Let us go to stillness. Let us breathe out injustice and breathe in peace. Lord, we center ourselves. It's the same thing, isn't it? That's that's a good stab at it. That's really good. I'm joined uh, by the chief spiritual officer of the All Saints Church in Pasadena, California, Reverend Ed Bacon. So why is it so misunderstood? You know, as I was saying, I received so many thousands and thousands of emails, and I was really... Um, my heart was was opened up by the level of connection that people uh, received from one another when we were doing this webcast, and you still can go to Oprah.com and, and download it. But um, there were, as I said at the beginning of this uh, webcast and radio broadcast, a lot of people who were upset about it. Uh, one person writes, what's happening here? This was posted just July 21st. Everybody in the New Earth Forum has abandoned Jesus and made totally yep, their new Messiah. 
Jesus did not come to earth to show people how to be Christ-like. I kind of thought he did, but anyway, he came to show the path to his father. He said he will be... Uh, Jesus is that path, by the way. ...be the judge on how much you've loved him. He will be the judge on how much you've loved him. Uh, Then that is how much you've loved his father. You can't get around that fact. You need to get past the churches you grew up in. Jesus did not create the Catholic Church or any other church out there. You don't need to go to church one more day in your life. You just need to believe that Jesus is what he said. So I don't have a name or address for who did that. Otherwise, I'd call them up right now. (laughs) Oprah, call me. Come on, on, call me. Have me on your show. Let's chat. Would love to actually talk about exclusive truth claims because she's – notice here, she's talking about – how come people misunderstand? She's actually operating from an idea that what she believes is true and that people are not getting it. They don't understand this truth. Okay, But where is she getting her information from? Not from the Bible. From extra biblical sources, from direct experience of spirituality, from stillness. But anyway, what do you say to that? And what do you and this one? Spirituality, spirituality, and atheism are two different words for the same thing. Disengage them both. That says to me. What does it say? That these folks are coming from the house of fear. <gasps> oh, the house of fear. Personally, what was that? What was that Van Halen song? House of Pain. Okay, folks, look in your Bible and find the words house of fear. By the way, what does scripture say? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. There is a right kind of fear to have. But apparently Ed Bacon here is going to throw this all away by talking about something called the house of fear versus the house of love. Let's hear Ed. We choose to live at any particular moment in our life, either in the house of fear or the house of love. And the house of fear always drives us to put God in a box, put our theology in a box, put our spirituality in the box. But to say, this is what he said. This is what he says. Thus saith the Lord, you mean? (laughs) Isn't that what the prophets would always say? Thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. Thus saith the Lord. And what is he doing? He's saying, well, people operate from the house of fear rather than the house of love and put God in a box. No, actually, he's not in a box, but he has spoken. And we know that the Bible tells us the truth of what God has said. How do we know that? Well, because Christ Jesus himself claims that the Bible's the word of God. And his his credentials can't be beat because he actually died and rose again from the dead. So to have a lesser view of Scripture than Jesus, apparently Jesus didn't feel like we were putting God in a box by putting his words down on page, did he? But see, that's again, the satanic lie always works to unwedge you from God's word. Okay, we're going to take you away from the Bible and the sure word. We're going to mock those who say, thus saith the Lord, or the, the Lord has said, and instead, what we're going to do is we're going to point you away from the Scripture, point you away from Christ, point you away from Jesus and Him crucified for your sins, and we're going to point you inside of yourself, to your experience, to your feelings, completely disconnected from the Bible. And if you depart from it, and if you depart from the language that I use and that I found comfort in, right, then you are starting your own church, you're antichrist, you're not religious, whatever. And it's the criticism that comes at you 
because you are pointing to something that's deeper and more universal. This is what's so interesting. Oh, deeper and more universal than God's word. Wow. At least he's honest. Make no bones about it. Ed Bacon is not a friend of scripture. He's trying to point us to something that's more deeper and more universal. But then again, my question is, is what's his authority for saying such things? How do I know what he's speaking is spiritually true? Because actually, he what he's saying contradicts the clear words of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ died and was raised again three days after he was crucified. Thus confirming his right to claim that the Bible was God's word. And I trust Jesus and his opinion of Scripture more than I trust Ed Bacon's. That's how this works. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust Christ or are you going to trust Ed Bacon? Interesting to me is how much vitriol, how really angry and impassioned people can become uh, in attacking that which goes against the 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 wording, just the very wording. Precisely. Uh, and right, because if you contradict God's word, Oprah, we Christians are actually told to rebuke you, not because we don't love you, but because we do love you. It's like the movie. Have you ever seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Great movie, by the way. Good movie to watch during Thanksgiving. John Candy and, and Steve Martin, just hilarious in that movie. There's this one scene where John Candy is driving. Okay, it's the middle of the night. They're, they're driving down the road in this rented car. And, and John Candy is having problems you know, with his jacket and he's smoking a cigarette and, and whatever. And He's not paying attention. And he ends up on the other side of the road. So he's driving down this freeway. In the Midwest, heading to Chicago from St. Louis, and he is on the wrong side of the road. And what happens is, is that these people drive up next to him, they're like they're freaked out, and they roll down their window and they say, "You're going the wrong way." And and so what happens is, Candy looks at them and goes, "How do they know where we're going?" <laughs> you know. And and so he concludes that they, they that they're drunk. He thinks they're drunk. You're go. You're 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 go. So they're yelling and shout. You're going the wrong way, and he just completely poo poos them until he sees two semi trucks coming down the road, and he's going to have a head on collision with them. Okay, Oprah, you're going the wrong way. I love you, Oprah. I don't want you to die in your sins. I don't want you to die believing this and going to hell. You're going the wrong way. And if you're saying that you're a Christian or whatever religion and you're coming from a place of love, how is that possible? One of the things that I can do to quiet mm-hmm. my anxiety and my fear is to find certainty. And then if someone challenges... Oh, certainty. That's a bad thing. This guy sounds emergent. Yeah, you don't want to find certainty. Is my certainty. Then I attack. And that attack has come from the house of fear. And I think that's what's been going on with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to respond with love. Yes. You have to stay on course. Um, was- How about repent? How about repent? There, the, the, None of this stuff is in the Bible. None of it. All of this is just gobbledygook that they're making up. And they don't want to be held accountable and they don't want people telling them they're wrong and then going the wrong way. And if you do so, that's from the house of fear rather than the house of love. No, 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 no. Oh, Oprah, we love you, Oprah. And we pray for you, Oprah. Please hear us, Oprah. 
This is not what God's word says, and God's word has spoken. Listen to the words of Christ. They can be trusted. This other stuff, you can't trust it. Reading about the phenomenon that we're addressing today, the kind of persecution you've gotten, uh-huh. the kind of resistance you've gotten, uh, Chuck Yeager came to mind. He was the guy who, first human being. Notice he's not reading a Bible passage here. He's just telling an anecdotal story. To fly faster than the speed of sound. Uh-huh. Broke through the sound barrier. Right. He landed. The media came up and said, what do you have to say about this? He said, just before you break through the sound barrier is when the cockpit shakes the most. Wow. See, that just makes her feel so special, right? So, the, see, she's just about ready to break through the sound barrier. That's why she's experiencing all this tribulation. And every leader, every pioneer, has known just before a breakthrough, the cockpit was shaking. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens, I think, as we are trying to go deeper in spirituality, mm-hmm. which means go wider also, because the, there's this connectivity with every other human being. Because when you find and discover the divine in yourself... Right. The, the what? You know, the what? The, the divine in myself. Whew. Wow. You'll be like God. That exists in everyone else and that no one is advantaged before God. Whoa, you're talking about A-L-L, all. I know, but I understand how people can feel that because this was a very difficult... Christianity isn't the only way, according to the Reverend Bacon. We can go deeper and wider than God's word. Just discover the divine within you. Difficult concept for me to accept being raised Southern Baptist and uh, believing, as I still do, that Jesus was the divine. So to say that the divine is in me sounds like you are comparing yourself to Jesus. Actually, it sounds like you're committing blasphemy because you're not divine. You are created in God's image. There's something very distinct and different about that. Jesus over and over said, as you well know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Exactly. And the kingdom of God is within you. Yes. And your faith has made you well. Mm -hmm. And the first chapter of the Gospel of John says Mm -hmm. the light that was in every human being is now come into the world. No, 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 it does not say that. Um, Wow, that's a twist and a half. John chapter one. um, Let me read it to you in context and we'll play what he just said. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. (laughs) So who's the light? Jesus. And the light shines in the darkness, and the dark has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. It says the true light that enlightens everyone. Not that they have this light within them. He was coming into the world. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light. This is not some kind of light within us, like some spiritual thing that they're describing at all. He is twisting God's word. And I hear Satan's voice, and you will be like God. 
Interesting. We're going to leave off right here. I might pick this up later this week or maybe tomorrow. I don't know. This kind of all depends. Um, if you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on today's show, if you know, if you've uh, led somebody to Christ using Paris Hilton's my new BFF, email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. If you're divine by nature, you know, and you're, you're interested in the spiritual and not God's word, email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>